This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Uh, welcome to the Bite Size Business Breakfast podcast, best bits from Tuesday, October the 24th, uh, where we caught up with uh, Svanalika Shetty, the head of corporate life and pensions at Zurich International Life uh, Middle East Office. Why? Because they've just released their latest Future of Employment survey. It's the third uh, in as many years. Um, and some interesting findings uh, showed that the landscape, the jobs landscape, the employment landscape really has evolved in the last three years. 25% of employees in the UAE and the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia have changed jobs in the last year. One in four. Uh, It was one of a number of striking statistics that came out of the report uh, and one of the talking points that we took up with the team from Zurich International. We also had Helen Chen in studio, co-founder and COO of Nomad Homes. Uh, They were kind enough to join us uh, this morning, the morning that they announced uh, they had closed a $20 million Series A extension round uh, to their unique offering in the real estate uh, market. Uh, we had got all the latest from uh, Helen, who I said was kind enough to join us live in studio. Haida Tuwemi is the Director and the Head of Real Estate Research at ValueStrat. Haida joined us on the line a little earlier on to talk about the valuations of prime properties. They've grown yet again, year on year. Uh, prime villa prices reaching a 10-year high. Uh, also, the suggestions that there might just be the evidence, uh, a little bit of evidence out there, of uh, a levelling out of villa prices as well. Haida had uh, the latest on all of that. Plus, also during the show, we got a hold of Samir Lakhani, the Managing Director of Global Capital Partners. We had news coming through whilst we were on air uh, that Bahrain's Investcor uh, was considering uh, yet another IPO. It has uh, dabbled in IPOs uh, across the region in the past, but the big news coming through this morning was that they were looking to the ADX down in Abu Dhabi. But also news coming through from Doha uh, this morning that Akbar Al-Bakr, the long-term CEO of Qatar Airways, is to stand down from his role. Qatar Airways announcing his successor. He will be in the job until November the 5th. So we reacted, A, to the announcement, and B, a look back at what has been one of the longest stints as an aviation CEO anywhere in the globe. That's all right here on the Bite Size Business Breakfast Podcast. We have had an extremely busy show this morning, full of CEOs, full of reports, full of people who've raised an awful lot of money, and some breaking news as well. Let's start with the latter. Uh, just before 8 o'clock this morning, we heard that Bahrain's Investcorp was to sell some of its shares and list in Abu Dhabi. This is Samir Lakhani, Managing Director of Global Capital Partners, with that breaking news. About 29% uh, is being uh, offered, 643 million shares, uh, and uh, uh, it's the, the offering starts on the 2nd of November, going through to the 8th. That's the first tranche. The second tranche runs through to the 9th. Final offering, uh, final pricing is going to be done on the 17th. What they have done is uh, they've asked, uh, they've uh, they've stipulated that for the first three years they are going to offer a minimum of uh, 8% dividend. So that's being shared to uh, retail investors as well as institutional investors in this region. 
Richard, a couple of interesting things um, about this IPO. Let's listen first to Samir talking about the appetite and then we'll talk about why, for a few reasons, it's particularly newsworthy. Look, it gives access, it gives access to a premier investment bank. Uh, you know, you can, comp- you can compare Invest, Invest Corp uh, to the likes of, you know, Goldman Sachs uh, in the U.S., albeit on a smaller scale, but they have a stellar track record. And yes, it allows, it allows for access to their, 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 their team of professionals and their deal-making. So yes, I think the appetite is going to be very high. All right. Interesting things. Number one, their executive chairman is a former fighter pilot. There you go. Cool under pressure. Good with risk. Number two, it's not his first... What's a fighter pilot equivalent of rodeo? Sorty. Dogfight. They've been here before. In terms of listing? In terms of listing. They have. They were listed in London until 2010. They were listed in Bahrain, understandably, being based there, until just a couple of years ago. Then they delisted to become a private company, and we thought that was that, and they gave their reasons for doing it, and they were all perfectly valid. The fact that, A, they're listing again, and B, they're doing it in Abu Dhabi is... Well, to us, that's quite interesting. And you asked Samir about that, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Because, as you say, Bahraini-based company, why look to Abu Dhabi for an IPO? I think the answer to that is simple. I think we have more liquidity now that has been created in uh, the ADX, probably one of the most liquid markets in the GCC and one of the most liquid markets in uh, the emerging market spectrum as a whole. So I think it was a natural choice. Right, so that's one big piece of wider GCC news this morning. In another, a man whose name is synonymous with Qatar Aviation is stepping down. Uh, yeah, this is uh, the the CEO, the long-time CEO uh, of Qatar Airways, who is uh, stepping down from his role. He's been in the role since 1997. Akbar al is a man who is synonymous with Qatar Airways, the long-standing chief executive, will step down from his role on November the 5th. So he's got a couple more weeks uh, in the role. 25 years at the helm, veterans going to be succeeded by Badr Al-Mir, who's the chief operating officer of the airport at the moment. Qatar uh, Airways uh, saying in a statement, Mr. Akbar Al-Bakr has decided to step down as group chief executive. Move comes uh, after the Qatari Emir, Sheikh Tamim bin Hamad Al-Tani, uh, issued a decision replacing Mr. Al-Bakr uh, as the chairman of Qatar Tourism. Uh, well, that was taking place on Sunday, that announcement came out. Um, he is going to be succeeded by Saad bin Ali bin Saad al-Kaji as the country's tourism chief. Because that's the one thing we haven't mentioned, is it, this morning, that uh, al-Bakka, obviously synonymous with um, uh, Qatar Airways, but also synonymous with Qatar Tourism. He held those two roles for many, many years together. Uh, we got a little bit of thoughts on this one. Vinamra Longani, aviation analyst, uh, has been talking about the Akbar legacy. Over the years, you see, he's led his airline through some of its most difficult times, such as the pandemic. I mean, they started with five aircraft in 1996. And as on date, you know, this is an airline with 248 aircraft. It is without doubt regarded as one of the best airlines in the world, not just for operational efficiency, but also for their world-class hospitality. So in my opinion, to sum up, uh, Akbar's legacy, you see, his legacy will take to the skies every day and, and multiple times a day, as and when uh, Qatar Airways aircraft takes to the sky. Those thoughts of Vinamra Longani. Uh, other big stories this morning. A big deal in the oil industry. Uh, we have got Chevron buying a company called Hess for more than uh, 
50 big ones. Uh, Katija Hack, the Chief Economist of Emirates MBD, has put that in context for us, particularly what it means for this region. The Chevron Hess deal is the second big acquisition in the US energy industry in recent weeks and follows Exxon's purchase of shale producer Pioneer. The announcements provide further confirmation that the big oil companies are looking to boost investment in oil and gas production capacity after decades of underinvestment. With the Hess acquisition, Chevron now has access to oil reserves in Guyana, as well as additional supply in Mexico and the US. That's Katija Hack speaking about that Chevron deal that is making headlines this morning. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Right, Dubai's property markets witnessed its highest quarterly capital gains in a decade in some areas in the last quarter. Now, that's according to a value strat report that will be released later today. We are taking a lucky first look at it this morning with their head of research, Haida Tuema. Haida, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. And thank you for giving us an early glimpse at this report. Let's start with those quarterly capital gains. What have you seen? Give me the numbers. The VPI, which is a valuation-based price index um, that we update on a monthly basis on the Dubai um, real estate market. Um, In the last uh, at least couple of years, we used to see quarterly gains of anywhere between 3 and 5%. Um, but for Q3 this year and for the first time, we have seen a 6.1% uh, uh, capital gain just quarter on quarter. Right. So let's put that into the areas that people will understand. What have you seen, for example, in the capital gains in residential? So in the residential market, um, as I mentioned, is 6.1%. This is according um, on normal villas and normal um, apartments. Um, if we look at the prime market, actually it's gone a little bit uh, faster at 6.6%. Um, this index is basically a 100-point based index. Um, so what we are saying is that back in 2014, if a property was worth 100, how much is it worth today? So generally speaking, um, with the market today, it's worth 96.6 points. Um, with the prime market, it's worth 106.2 points. But then the devil's in the details when we break it down into villas versus apartments. And that's where we see a huge difference um, between the villa market and the apartment market. Okay, so where are we in those markets, villas and apartments, compared to the 2014 peaks? Okay, so compared to the 2014 peaks, uh, it's very interesting. Um, of course, the villas have fared much, much better than um, apartments. Apartments are still below their 2014 peaks. Um, and this is including Palm Jumeirah. So Palm Jumeirah apartments, now we have to stress on apartments, are still 16.6% below their 2014 peaks. If we look at villas, um, most of the areas that that the Value Strat Price Index monitors have actually surpassed the 2014 peaks. And the start of the show is Palm Jumeirah. So we're talking about villas on the fronts of Palm Jumeirah. On average, it has surpassed those previous peaks by 42.5%. Um, this is followed by Emirates Hills. It surpassed um, the peaks by 24.1%. Jumeirah Island, 6.4%. The only couple of areas that we monitor that haven't yet 
uh, surpass those peaks are Jumeirah village. So we're talking about townhouses in Jumeirah village triangle and El Forjan villas. They are, these uh, areas um, are still below the peaks. Apartments in general, as I mentioned, are still below their peaks. Okay, and what are we seeing in terms of new supply coming on to alleviate some of that? I was really taken by your figures of what developers thought they would hand over this year compared to what's actually been delivered in the first nine months. At the moment, when we're talking about um, supply, usually in the beginning of the year, we mention a big number because that number we get from um, the developer uh, schedules um, because we can't really guess exactly how many properties will actually be um, delivered. So we were looking at 54,000 units to be completed uh, by the end of the year. And this was this was an estimation that we put at the beginning of the year. Um, from um, that number, um, we'll, we're, we, are, we are looking at about um, 44% of all of that number being actually handed over. So, um, so 21,500 um, apartments and about 2,000 uh, villas have actually been completed in the nine months of this year. Okay, what does that mean for supply for the market as a whole? So in the in the next five years, at least based on the, the projects that have been announced, and we're only looking at under construction projects, this is not even including projects that are still in, let's say, in the planning phase or in the design phase. Um, we're looking at act, active construction. In the next five years, um, we can expect uh, more than 100,000 um, residential units. Okay, let's look at one of the other findings of this report, Haida, which may be a knock-on effect. You're seeing increased demand for cheaper apartments. Talk me through that. Yeah, so the, the market is, is, has been shifting, um, basically downsizing. So instead of looking at villas and townhouses or large apartments, um, the, the interest now is towards the smaller apartments. And this is mainly due to affordability. So um, investors um, trying to you know, get into um, the market cannot no longer afford the, the larger um, properties. Um, so therefore, there is, there is a movement uh, towards apartments. And that movement only began just this year, since the pandemic, um, apartments uh, are very much still more or less affordable. Some of them haven't even uh, changed cons- any in a considerable way when you compare it to pandemic time. So um, the investors are finding it um, increasingly uh, attractive um, to, to get into that market. Um, and they are, um, with the rents rising, um, they are actually giving the investors uh, very generous yields. 30 seconds, super quickly, on the rent front, villa rents, a sign of stabilisation? Yeah, um, it could be. Um, We've actually said that we had a review uh, outlook report um, we we released last year, and we did say that rents may stabilise by the end of this year. I I can't believe even by seeing the numbers that this actually is happening. Yes, it is possible that villas have reached their uh, rent ceilings or price ceilings. There you go. First uh, sort of no movement number after a 33-month rally for Villas. Uh, that's the Value Strat Q3 report. It's going to be released a little bit later today. We have been speaking to their Mr. Research, the man who puts the numbers together, Haida Tuayman. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. We are going to speak to the CEO of a company that 21 minutes ago announced that it had just raised 
$20 million. It's the real estate marketplace Nomad Homes. They've just completed a new round of funding. We're very pleased to have in the studio um, a woman who, quite frankly, should probably be celebrating, Helen Chen, co-founder and CEO. Helen, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. And Mabrook, well done. Thank you so much. Dubai headquartered company, marketplace for residential real estate. Give us the elevator pitch. Tell us what you do differently. Absolutely. So we're a software-enabled marketplace for residential real estate, and we're revolutionizing the home buying experience across Dubai and across Europe and the Middle East. There's three things that we do differently for the home buyers in Dubai. First is we offer a single point of contact for everything. So stop dealing with the 30 agents in your WhatsApp. Uh, Second, we provide access to the largest pool of off-market properties in Dubai. And third, we provide expert representation that is separate from the seller. Okay, let's dig into two of those because the idea of buyer's agents here certainly isn't the norm. What's the advantage in having a buyer's agent? I fundamentally believe that buyers and sellers deserve separate representation. So let me use another analogy and help people understand why I believe this. So in the Manchester Derby, if Pep is getting paid by Man City, would Man United ever let Pep coach them at the same time? Never, 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 never. Each team deserves their own coach. That is the same in real estate. Buyers and sellers deserve separate representation. Right, because they have separate interests. One wants the price up, one wants the price down. Exactly. So how are you managing to do that, given that this is very much agent-wise a seller's market and the majority of properties out there will have seller's agents? Absolutely. So the first thing I would say is that all of this is available to buyers at no additional cost because we share the standard 2% commission with the agent who is selling the home. And you're exactly right. How do we do this? So we have a network of agents, over 1,300 in Dubai, who work with us on a regular basis. And all of them agree to work with us because we share with them qualified buyer leads. And that is what enables our pool of off-market properties. In fact, over 51% of the properties we receive from these agents is actually off-market. And by off-market, we mean it's not up on one of the portals. It hasn't been advertised yet. Exactly. It's not on any of the portals. You can't find it online. How big is the pool of off-market property here? We estimate that it's pretty significant, that it's probably in the thousands, if not tens of thousands, because oftentimes sellers want to be discreet. They don't want a lot of people clicking on their properties and requesting viewings, and also agents want to be discreet. So give me an idea then of how busy you are with all of this. How many deals would you complete a month or quarter, for example? Yeah, absolutely. So um, as a whole, our company has been growing about six times year over year. Uh, We have helped about half a billion transactions happen. Uh, That's U.S. dollars worth of billions of transactions. And do you ever get any pushback from agents who don't want to share that commission? This is a very hungry market after all. Absolutely. So we do receive pushback sometimes. um, But that's where our network of agents that's powered by our B2B platform, Nomad Agent, comes into play. Uh, We have spent the time and invested in the Dubai market to build this network of agents so that we have a reputation. We only bring qualified buyers to these agents to help them close these deals faster. 
And do you have any idea, and you're a woman who's made a pitch recently to investors, <laughs> of how much you're actually saving uh, the the buyers in terms of going buy side rather than sell side for agents? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when clients work with us, they get a custom negotiation strategy that is data led. Um, oftentimes we can save buyers, you know, $10,000, um, 30,000 dirhams, sometimes up to 10%, but it really comes down to property by property. Okay, so let's look at the fundraising that you have done. We're calling you a Dubai headquartered company for Nomad Homes, but obviously you have uh, expanded beyond that. Where's the $20 million come from? Uh, the $20 million we're really excited to announce this morning is coming from ACRU. ACRU is a Silicon Valley-based venture capital fund that's invested in unicorns like Coinbase, like Chime, like Gusto. So how does a Dubai-headquartered company attract the attention of a Silicon Valley venture fund? Uh, well, fortunately, our business is doing incredibly well, and we've, we're growing quite quickly. We've grown 24 times since the last time we raised funding. Uh, we've raised $45 million overall. Uh, and also, it comes down to my network. Uh, I used to live in Silicon Valley. I was at Stanford for business school and then dropped out to start Nomad Homes and moved around the world to do it. We're hearing an awful lot from VCs, some of which we've had in, in this studio, about a funding winter or a funding desert. The fact that at the moment, um, and indeed for the last year or so, it's been a lot harder for companies to, to attract VC funds, that the money just isn't there. It's getting better returns um, elsewhere, bond yields, whatever else, interest rates are high. How did you find it compared to your previous funding rounds? Uh, it's definitely wintry, I would say. Uh, if we look at the numbers, venture funding is down over 50% year over year. So we feel it. We're in a very fortunate position that our company fundamentally is doing well. We are growing. We are aiming for profitability next year. And that's what VCs are looking for. They're looking for revolutionary ideas with a big market, ambitious founders, and really strong fundamentals in the business. What advice would you give anyone looking to raise money at the moment and how to position yourself like that? Absolutely. So my advice for founders out there is to make sure that your company is set up for success and that you have a really clean story and clean narrative of why your company is different and how to convince people to actually give you that money. So you've got the money, presumably. It's been transferred, 28 minutes. What are you going to do with it? Yeah, so the use of funding is really to continue to invest in growth, to invest in our AI co-pilot for buyers, again, with the buyer representation, and also to launch our new offering, which is called Nomad Homes Private Client. Which will? Nomad Homes Private Client is a bespoke offering for individuals looking to purchase a home or a portfolio of assets worth more than 10 million dirhams. And what do they get having more money that I wouldn't get? So what Nomad Homes private client is, it's very similar to a private banking solution. Uh, clients receive a dedicated relationship manager who provide expert advice. Uh, they also lead a very data-led negotiation strategy, and it's absolute privacy. Uh, Nomad Homes private clients also receive priority access to the off-market properties. How do you guarantee absolute privacy, given that when you buy a flat or an you know, a, a villa here. A, it's all lodged with the authorities. And B, you then get 15 WhatsApps from people asking if you want to sell it. 
Yes, absolutely. So the first piece is that the team maintains absolute privacy. This is part of our values, part of our culture, and I will fire whoever opens their mouth. Okay, Helen Chen, co-founder and CEO of Nomad Homes, uh, announcing half an hour this morning, half an hour ago this morning, that it's just raised $20 million in a new round of funding. Great note to leave it on. Thank you for your time this morning. Thank you for having me. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Let's talk about work. Uh, Let's talk about the evolving state of work and the landscape here in the Middle East, particularly uh, the UAE, uh, undergoing significant changes at the moment. Um, Several new findings from a new piece of research commissioned by Zurich International Life in the Middle East, conducted by market research company Radius Insights, highlighting the vital role of employee benefits in retaining and attracting talent in what is a growingly competitive market across the region. Uh, The report itself is now available, uh, courtesy of all the team at Zurich International Life. Let's talk uh, to the head of corporate life uh, and pensions, uh, Swanaleka Deshetti, who joins us now live in the studio. Thanks so much indeed for your time this morning. Thanks for having me, Tom. Great to have you uh, with us. Thanks so much indeed for the report as well. The third in the series of report. You started this back in 2001. And even in that short period of time, we've seen massive evolution in the work landscape and the job market here. One of the headlines that jumped off the page here is uh, the vital role of employee benefits in retaining and attracting those two key words at the moment for employers. Why have employee benefits become more important than salary? I think people have realised that um, it's not just about salary and every organisation can't just become competitive just with salary. And as people are living longer in the Middle East, uh, they are looking at various opportunities or options over and above salary. Like, for example, if you don't have a state-provided pension, so what are you going to do about your retirement savings? Um, One of the findings that came out very uh, strongly in this survey was, especially people who are above 45 years, were more keen about um, you know retirement um, you know options provided by their employers. Um, life insurance offered by their employers, um, child allowances, um, uh, you know, which which probably they're looking forward from their employers to be provided. So clearly people are looking much more long term in the region um, as there's a lot more reforms in the government that, you know, is also been seen recently, like, for example, the new golden visa, um, you know, opportunities that's been available to people where it helps them live longer in the region. So Clearly, it's evolved. And over the last two years, you're right, we've clearly seen a change in people's mindset where they're giving more importance to employee benefits. And I mean, just to reiterate, I mean, nearly nine in 10 employees are polled by this poll, which again, took into consideration employees down in Saudi Arabia for the first time as well, uh, considering employee benefits as the extremely important pillar as well. Um, And I suppose that is evidence of the fact that we have has seen those government reforms. We are seeing an evolution uh, of the benefit system here at the moment, and that's being recognised by uh, employers and employees alike. But employees also asking for more when it comes to benefits. So they're getting quite creative with their benefits. Yes. Um, you know, in the recent past, when I've done my own recruitments for my team, I've had people ask about benefits we offer as organisation. 
Would I have seen that five years ago? No, I haven't. Um, clearly, people are much more aware of what is being offered in the market. I think the second thing which people are do asking is about the company culture. You know, how, how are you as an organization? Uh, what kind of opportunities do I have for upskilling myself? So it's a, it's, it's a much more broader factors that people are looking for when they are looking for change. And that's what the report said. 84% actually said that they are happy to change jobs at the same salary, but with better employee benefits. Um, and when I'm saying employee benefits, it's not just financial, but it's even more than that. So uh, uh, being uh, made available, some financial financial literacy programs, um, it could be, uh, you know, a- any kind of um, employee support programs, mm-hmm. uh, which usually is not or was never available in the past. Um, clearly, that has evolved, right? And, and people thinking are now much more long-term rather than short-term, which is, which is what I guess was a challenge before. So I suppose that is suggesting that employee priorities are changing at the moment. They're evolving from our findings of what's gone on in COVID, etc., and where we are at the moment. Um, and do therefore employers need to be conscious of that? Uh, uh, and how do they become? Do they have to be more flexible? I, I think employers have to. Uh, start listening to their employees more. Um, today, I think the challenge is that employers think they are offering the best uh, employee benefits to their employees. But more often than not, employees are not either aware of what they are being offered, uh, or even if they are being offered, it doesn't mean too much to them. So I guess the first thing is uh, for employers is they have to listen to their employees as to what they are asking. One of the findings of the report was also that there was a huge gap in between what employers were providing and what employees were expecting from their employers. Mm. Uh, and few of the things there was definitely seen a gap was workplace savings and retirement. That came out as the topmost requirement by our uh, by the employees, which they were hoping that the employers can put in place. The second was financial literacy. Clearly, again, we are all in this country to make a living, but if you're not going to provide uh, or have that kind of literacy to understand what options are available to us, we might not be in a position to make some informed decisions. So um, clearly, those were the two points that really came, jumped out of the survey where employees are saying, listen, we need this more you know, now more than ever. Let's talk about uh, retention, if we can, because that was the other number that really jumped off the page for us. One in four employees switching jobs in the past year, retaining talent becoming top priority for employers as well. Uh, Saudi Arabia, as I mentioned there, 78% of employees considering changing jobs in the next 12 to 18 months as well. What does the report tell us about the the issue of retention at the moment? Um, Retention leads to an employer having to find uh, a similar talent uh, with with similar kind of experience, more often it comes at an ex, you know at a higher cost. And in the today's landscape, the way we work is the existing person ends up double hatting, triple hatting, you know, several jobs. So when that person leaves, more often the uh, the organisations have to recruit two or three roles for the same person who's left. And so which means your overall cost has just gone up. Plus, even if a new person comes in, it, it is going to take that person to build that credibility, build that experience and come to the same stage as what that previous person left. Is it then you know, easier for the employer to retain the existing talent? I think that would just make much more commercial sense for an employer. So I think that's why even employers have started to understand it is, it is actually easier if, it, mm. if they can retain good talent 
uh, rather than thinking that, okay, there is available talent and we can recruit because that that coming up the curve is a much more longer process. 30 seconds, Romain. Last thought on this one. Talent shortage, an issue both here and in Saudi Arabia? Um, definitely. Um, and the employers are saying it is going to, in fact, 68% of the employers said it is going to be a huge impact on their business operations and profitability uh, because of the talent shortage. And three in four employers said that it is going to be a problem going forward as well. So clearly a big, big challenge. It's a great report. Uh, makes a fascinating reading for employers and employees like the Zurich International Life Survey. Uh, Swana Lekashete, thank you so much indeed for your time. Thank Always you so much. Always good to catch Tom. up. Thanks for that. Uh, Head of Corporate Life and Pensions at Zurich International Life Middle East. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.